0: You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shilling Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to armed forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag StandWithUkraine. Welcome back to
1: Consolidate That. Ivan, we've got part two of an episode that uh, we released last week where we were talking about the new market realities and, and how people can prepare their practice for sale. And this week, I think we wanted to talk maybe a little bit more on our side of the house, which is what do different veterinary consolidators look at when they're evaluating clinics? How's that sound?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a, uh, that's, that's probably a good angle to it. So let's, uh, let's dive into that. Um, Perfect. Well, I think the first thing that we should talk about a bit is, you know, again, if you haven't
1: listened to last week, it was um, very valuable. I think it's valuable. I think everything we do is valuable, but I think it was very valuable for uh, sellers and sort of the ideas of what other conversations, other practice owners have had, but um, what I kind of wanted to start with was the alignment of core values. So as a consolidator, we are looking at practices. And one of the first jobs that I have is assessing sort of the the fit around core values. What's What are the things that get that team up in the morning? What are the things that get the seller excited about where they're going? And, and how does that align with Galaxy Vets? It's one of those kind of questions that I think a lot of sellers maybe don't look at especially if you're just thinking about it as a purely a transaction of selling your business but you are also choosing your future employer in most situations so when we look at our core values for me uh, a major piece of that is utilizing our employee share ownership plan and getting sellers that want to continue the owner's mindset and the founder's mindset
0: Yeah. And, you know, probably interesting even to roll it back a little even more Uh, when when you're planning to sell your practice, uh, I think it's important to to even see if the conversation with the business development person does touch on the core value discussion, Um, because if your conversation, well, depending on your goals, if your uh, goal is to retire and, you know, sip on a coconut tomorrow then maybe it's a different angle. If you are like Ryan said, planning to actually continue working with the consolator, leader, then if they're opening phrases, we're about to make you rich, which we heard is happening, um, is maybe not the ideal situation. <laughs> then maybe you wanna make sure that aside from that, what are we gonna do together? So so I think that Ryan and and you probably have heard different sort of uh, client goals and maybe let's talk about what uh, situations in you. Let's make it interesting. What situations in you don't care about discussion of core values, like what type of sale we're looking at. If if you're doing this, then maybe it doesn't matter. But otherwise, you should think about the core values.
1: Yeah. So um, if you are a single doctor and you're selling your practice and not intending to keep working. First off, it's a very difficult thing to sell. Um, but you probably don't care about the core value alignment. If you don't care about your team anymore, maybe the core value alignment doesn't matter if you're leaving, or if you think that a large enough pile of money will, give you satisfaction long enough to stick around and grit and bear it through whatever difficulties you're going to have with your future employer. Maybe core values don't matter on both sides there. Pretty much every other one of them, I think there's enough consolidators in the industry that you should be able to find a proper alignment on what your core values are. And for the consolidators, what our core values are with with the selling practice owners. Um, you know, we had a, an interesting doctor that I spoke to who did not believe in spays and neuters. And I think that kind of changed a little bit on some of the medical values or the core values or the access to care type things that we had. And so that just wasn't the right fit for us as a, as a group to be able to move forward with her. Um, but it's something that someone else might really align well with. Um, and so I encouraged her to, to seek out other groups that might be a better fit there.
0: The other interesting thing is that uh, depending on what your plan is with the practice post acquisition, so everybody has, you know, an integration plan, 100 day plan, 90 day plan, 30, 60, 90, whatever you call it, even that plan, you're planning to align on culture if you have a plan for cultural integration so at galaxy we have we use traction methodology or entrepreneurial operating system which heavily heavily relies on defining core values within the hospital so if you are talking if we are talking to a seller that the concept of you know strategic planning core values mission statement and stuff like that is a completely new thing or if they proactively say that this is all garbage and not required to run the veterinary practice that might be misalignment on on even how we manage organizations because what we do in the first couple of months we do go in and establish all of those things together with the seller because there needs to be a cultural integration you can't really buy different organization or partner with different organization and then disregard that there is a culture that's been formed there if there's no core value definition right now well they are there they're just not defined on paper and in front of uh, of them but they've been working together so therefore there's culture that is formed so you're taking that culture and integrating it into your culture and if those discussions not started early then that integration from the financial perspective and deployment of new growth levers may become a mess. So that's why I think it's very, very important. But also, Ryan, I know that we're looking to hospital reputation. So Mm -hmm. uh, how do we go about that? And what can we find from that and what uh, the sellers or the partners need to be aware of?
1: Yeah, so the hospital reputation is a tougher one to get a true feeling on um, because there's a lot of confidentiality and a lot of care that you want to give to assessing the practice you you know you wish that you could call everyone else in the area and say what do you think about dr. Jones and get a good feedback but you can't usually do that but um, so we do look at sort of the Google reviews we look at the Yelp reviews we look at the overall reviews of the practice um, I like to look as well at the Website and the online presence, as well as their Facebook, you can tell a lot about some of the language that's used in how they present themselves in the way that they review a reputation. And then, also, really straightforward, something that's important to know about is the license checks. So, part of my job is doing a quick online license check for every single practice, not just the practice owners, but the doctors that work within the practice to see if there's any. Red flags there or outstanding issues or things that we want to make sure that we address. So if you are prepping your practice for sale and go into it and maybe take two minutes to hop onto to the, the website and just see if there's anything that you didn't expect to see there about your license or maybe something that one of your doctors or techs has on their license, because that's something we look at and, and is a quick thing to be able to sort of understand what hurdles we might come across down the line. Um, so that's, that's a quick piece on reputation. And then, um, reputation also aligns with me sort of in the location, um, which it's such a holistic view of how a practice works, but the location of the practice for us as a consolidator is very key because of our goal of building out solar systems and having a regional density. Um, there are groups that just look for practices anywhere and everywhere. Um, and we have some approaches where we 'll look at some of those things, but the actual physical location, whether it 's looking at what the street view looks like and the the map views and the location to nearest highways and where the you know if there 's there 's an n v a that 's next door or if there 's a uh, an e r that 's across the street or how those sort of things all flow is is another really important piece of what we look at um, so those are a lot of intangibles that I think our entire team does a really nice job of, of looking at some maps and things like that when we're presenting the clinics. And the the next big thing that I think a lot of people can put their hands on, which you probably have a better grasp on, Ivan, is the the financial health of the practice.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure that all the business development teams out there um, are, you know, super dialed in on, on how to assess the value of the practice and, and how to put the multiple, which is significantly dropping. But what I think what would be interesting in this conversation is to talk about in this current environment, um, the arbitrage is not any more something that investors support a lot or there is uh, or available out there because uh, the multiples are dropping the on both platform and the single units so it's important to uh, the organic growth of the of the platform is very very important so as we are looking at the financials not only understanding the full picture but also incorporating that into the synergies post acquisition based on what you are planning to do with this practice and and if you're well defined with your post-acquisition strategy of what are you going to do with this practice then different areas of the pnl are very important to look at and seek for those opportunities so therefore you can design what you do with that practice. And we call this uh, classes of clinics. It kind of inherited from the methodology, the Kanban methodology where it's classes of services. Uh, I'm not gonna go too deep on this. It's sort of internal uh, kind of management um, instrument, but essentially we want to define during the process of business development and due diligence, what are the synergies that we will apply to grow organically uh, this particular practice?
1: Yeah. What. When we look at it, you know, I, I know a lot of the sellers will come to the meeting prepared with an idea of maybe what their obviously they know, you should know what your revenue is. <laughs> if you don't know your top line revenue, that's a good good thing to look at first. But then a lot of people can come in with an idea of roughly what their EBITDA is or what they expect their adjusted EBITDA to look like. Um, but then once we start looking at the deeper financials, I, I know our team does a nice job of of diving into seeing, first off, what the COGS are, what the DVM labor costs are, what the non-DVM labor costs are, um, and then figuring out where there are, like you said, opportunities for margin expansion and, and how that aligns with sort of the goals of the practice. So when we're looking at them, I know we, we layer in the location. So if a practice is out on its own, we think of it as what we call an asteroid. And those have different growth opportunities. But if a practice is within a solar system or one of our planets, uh, those have very different growth opportunities. What What do you think is the some of those key high-level metrics that you would want to look at for margin expansion?
0: Well, there's, there's sort of, you know, low-hanging fruit, uh, as we call them. So one of them is just to understand the... So as we assess the practice during due diligence, we start digging into their data. So the low hanging fruit is to look at their pricing. So making sure that their pricing compared to their, you know, where they're ordering the drugs, as you know, in some clinics, you can find that they're selling something cheaper than they bought it for because they never changed the price. So that's an important thing. Um, And the price adjustment or change and when it was done last time. So that's an easy one. Everybody goes in and, you know, unfortunately, the easy sort of Fix that some uh groups do is just to come in and jack up the prices by 10%. All of them. That's probably not a good strategy. I'm not gonna teach everybody here how to do the pricing strategy, but seeing when it was done last time, when is does it do? Is there uh price increase is uh following the inflation rate and um and, and things like that? The second one that is an easy win is cogs so if your cogs are anywhere sort of north of 20 21 percent there's an opportunity to dial it in and uh, that's something that we do at scale and essentially you can do it fairly easy there's only one or two people in the practice that are that are taught what to do and then but it's a straight drop through into the bottom line so if you have the clinic that has you know 28 24 you know 30 percent cogs that's an immediate synergy and you can see that there is an immediate win there. So that's the, you know, that's the bottom line practice. And then I'm just going to, as we went through the growth levers in the previous uh, couple episodes, I'm going to go through it sort of one by one from them. So if you see, for example, that, uh, I mean, there's obvious things. So you want to push your vendors if you have many units once you have that buying power. But then there are things like, uh, so you want to increase revenue. For example, you're looking at the revenue of the practice and you're saying, okay, you have multiple veterinarians. There's not enough revenue in this clinic based on the number of veterinarians. Well, how do we increase that? This is where you start looking at the P&L, more like what I call looking at the blood work, where there's no obvious sign that this particular uh, number tells us the full story. But what is the next number to look at? So, for example, we're thinking that with this number of veterinarians, the revenue could be higher. The next thing to look at, well, are they functioning at their full capacity? Because what you could do in that and think, okay, well, we have enough vets, but we don't have enough uh, revenue. So therefore, let's push on marketing. And if you know how to do that at scale, you push on marketing and then uh, essentially bringing more cases, you know, do some special promotions and you bring in more cases into the front door without assessing their capacity. And all of a sudden you find out that uh, they were already at full capacity. It's just that their workflow is not managed properly. So essentially, you really need to be careful about that, uh, because if you didn't gain the trust yet from the team and they were thinking they're running at full capacity and their main complaint Uh, would be we don't have enough people. And you come in and say, well, you don't have enough patients. Here you go. And 10% more patients. And that's the straight path to basically burn out people and lose them. So things you can look for is, for example, fill rate. So you could look at the uh, historical number of uh, people that you have, and then the available appointments that you could have at a full-time engagement of those people, if they're full-time. And then against that, from the data, you can get how many appointments they had with a length of, you know, half an hour, let's say. So if you have a veterinarian working 40 hours a week, you know, eight hours a day, then technically that's 16 appointments per day, then you need to take out the lag time for the medical records, which they do surgeries, and stuff like that, so you will be individual for the practice, and there's a formula how you can get down to the capacity, and then you understand that in the past six months, you were running at 60% capacity, well, what's normal for this clinic? Well, maybe that is normal for this clinic, and then they never had more than that, and they feel, which is important, and they feel like they're running at the top capacity, so therefore, You need to help them to manage cases and with the workflow optimization, whether you use instruments like wonderful SmartFlow or you're using something more mechanical sort of management of room management. There's many, many things that you can do, but you first need to manage their ability to process the patients before pushing and marketing. Now, if you're seeing low revenue, they're not complaining about not enough people, but they're you know, 50% loaded, then yes, maybe there's a marketing opportunity, but not the case in many clinics today. But you really need to compare those before you implement one or another growth lever.
1: It's, it's interesting, because you think about the growth levers. And again, it's it sort of tangles into a web of all of these other things we've talked about, because those growth levers, to me require a lot of them require a core value alignment. If you are going into a practice where the values and the goals of the of the parent company or the consolidation group or the parent group do not align with the team that are there working, I don't think that you're going to get a successful outcome of of what you're looking at there. Um, for example, I mean, you can you can look at sort of any feel good metrics, you know, an employee satisfaction or client satisfaction, but if those things are not being driven by positive financial outcomes associated with them, you probably aren't seeing a, a really good uptake in what the, the health of the finances of the business can be.
0: Well, that, that kind of loops back into you know what we are putting a huge emphasis on, the employee ownership. Because as we go into the practice, we need not only to um, understand what to do financially with it, but how do people, how, how do people understand what is it in it for me? Because if you bought a clinic and go in and go, all right, we bought this business, so therefore now we're going to push the top line with marketing, optimize the workflow efficiency, and therefore see more patients, and therefore uh, we're going to get more profit, that is great. But what is it in it for a technician that's going to see more cases and run around more, for the doctor that's going to see more cases as well if they're not on commission there? and for receptionists so therefore their experience is then declining because they don't see the benefit to them so that's why having that component of employee ownership and this is our paramount importance at the beginning of the relationship not to go in and deploy everything that we can but create the buy-in for further change management so essentially we're coming in we're explaining to them everything culture we're then understanding their culture and merging their culture with our culture. In the meantime, we're providing the business acumen training to all the levels of organization. So they have a very basic understanding that when we do this, then the revenue increases. When we do this, we're saving on expenses. And when we win on both ends, that's where our equity grows and you are a part of that equity ownership. So therefore, when we come in and say, now we're going to implement marketing because we want to see more patients, Because once we see more patients, the share value, because of that profit, is going to grow, and you are the shareholder. That's where the whole information sort of locks in. You understand the business. You know what we're doing to drive a certain parameter, and you know how it's reflected on your shares as well.
1: So here's a a question. We Obviously, I have a good feeling of the things that I look for, a few of the things that the financial team and our financial analysis side of things look at. What are the paramount things that you, as a CEO of a group, um, when we sit down and every week we have a pipeline review meeting where we talk about all the practices that I've talked to, that we've done the financial modeling on and everything. What are some must-haves that you like to see and what are some absolute red flags that scare you away from diving deeper into a practice?
0: Mm. I don't know... I, I think that outside of, this is going to be a cliche answer, but we can look at the practices that are at amazing performance. So their is, you know, north of 2025, uh, their revenue is big. They have, you know, their their ratios of staff uh, versus DVMs is all good. And, you know, you are looking at that and you're thinking, okay, this is gonna be a stable practice where we can, uh, we can implement other growth levers like membership model and add telemedicine to it to drive a little bit more off the revenue there. And it could be a good practice, but if their culture is terrible, doesn't matter and then you can look at the practice where they're you know four eight percent EBITDA and then you know they're struggling to gain revenue but you know that this is an opportunity practice and as long as the team is dialed in and they're together to win it and then they they share the core values that we have and they they trust us to to get us there together then it doesn't matter so I think that arguably as much as it's cliche culture means the most. And then the numbers is something that we come in with our understanding of the business. And that's what we're bringing in to actually help people that are not uh, starting their career with business, but maybe are interested in this as veterinarians. Uh, what can we do to improve this business together? So I would say the the red flags are if there's misalignment on the team, if there's toxic culture, and, uh, and things related to that everything else I think is fixable.
1: That's great. Well, I think those are obviously neat things on both sides. I think this episode, these two episodes hit on really nice things that the teams and, and people that are selling clinics and buying clinics should, should be able to look at and, and listen to and and get, get some good insights. Um, this is actually our last episode of the year. Mm-hmm. So if you are listening to this, I, we want to wish everyone happy holidays, happy New Year's. And uh, we will be back with season three next year, 2023, with hopefully some really interesting updates on Galaxy Vets, perhaps some interviews throughout the year with some of our uh, practice sellers and our new team members and people that have been able to implement some of these growth levers that we've been spending the year chatting with you all about. So um, from all of us at Galaxy Vets and Consolidate That, Have a happy holidays and a happy new year.
0: Yeah. And thank you for listening. If you are the listener of this, it's really hard for us to understand how many listeners are there. But I know that from producing podcasts, as much as you're consistent with it, there's people that are interested in it. So I I appreciate all the listeners and invite others if you find this interesting. And happy holidays to all of you.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at galaxyvets.com.